Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessings of the Sabbath. Thank you so much for the praises that I know we have on our lips that how you have been with us in this past week. And Lord, we want to thank you that you have promised that where two or three are gathered in your name, you would be there in the midst as well. So we thank you, Lord, for now even being with us now. Please grace us with your presence. Bless us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand that we might be blessed from your word. We might be uplifted and encouraged and we might be a blessing to others out there as well. So Lord, guide us through this study now, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. So the title of our message, the parable that we're looking at this evening is Laborers in the Vineyard. And the parable that we're studying is only found in Matthew. It's just unique to the book of Matthew. It's not found in any of the other Gospels. And we jump straight into the parable this time. We start there in Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 to 2. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man, that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So friends, this parable is about a man who would go out to the marketplace and he would find people standing around with no job. And so he hires them and sends them into his vineyard to work. And they agree to one penny a day. That was the standard wage back then. That's how much they were paid on a daily basis back then. And we know that because, you know, there's an, a mutual agreement. They, they don't argue. They don't haggle. They, they don't negotiate over the price. The people that um, get this one penny a day, they agree to that. It's a fair rate. And so these people, they go into the vineyard of this man and they begin to work. And the working times in those days was from basically sun up to sundown, from dawn to dusk. And what happens next? After this, people, they, they, they are, are agree from, from the early morning, they go into the vineyard. What happens next? Matthew chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. And he, the owner of that vineyard, went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. So he goes out about the third hour. And the Jews, they reckon time starting from about 6 a.m. So the third hour was about 9 a.m. So the man, he goes out at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he sees people still just standing around, doing nothing. So he hires them to and gives them the promise that whatever is right, I'll give it to you. And so they go. So we, we don't see here that this second group, that they agree to a penny a day. He just says, look, whatever's right, I'll pay you. And so they depend upon the, the, the honesty of this man, the integrity of this man, that they would pay get paid a fair wage. Let's keep reading. Matthew 20 verse 5. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and dig, did likewise. So the parable says that he goes out about the sixth hour. That's 12 p.m. Ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. He goes out in the middle of the day and towards the second half of the day. And he finds even more people still standing idly around doing nothing. And he does the same thing. He hires them and whatever is right, he would pay them. 
So every hour, it seems like, or almost every hour, he's going out. Every three hours, he's going out to, to check who else is out there that still needs work. Let's keep reading. Pardon me. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 and 7. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So this man, he goes out, the Bible says, at the eleventh hour. That's 5 p.m., friends. He goes out at 5 p.m. That's the time that, I guess here in Malaysia, we work a little bit longer, but I know in Australia, it's 9 to 5, 8.30 to 5, right? So he's going out towards the end of the working day, and he still finds people standing idle, doing nothing. And right there and then, he hires them as well to go work in his vineyard and promised once more a fair wage. This is one hour before work finishes. You know, friends, this is not an office job. They're working in the vineyard. They didn't have external floodlights back then to shine on the vineyard that they could work all hours of the day. No, they only had 12 hours to work. You see, the Jews only, where they lived, they were so close to the equator that it was just a constant time all the time. And so the Jews, they only had daylight for around 12 hours. And this is typical just like here in Malaysia because we're so close to the equator. There's not much variance in terms of time. I mean, the further you get away, that's where when the, you know, the days get longer sometimes and then the night gets longer depending whether it's summer or winter, right? But here in Malaysia, it doesn't vary much at all. Now, let me give you some facts. The longest day here in Malaysia, the longest time we have daylight for is 12 hours and 10 minutes, okay? 12 hours and 10 minutes. And the shortest time that we have for daylight here in Malaysia is 11 hours and 49 minutes. That's just a variance of about 20 minutes. So really, we're very close and same on the same uh, horizontal axis as, as the, the, the Jews back then. And, you know, they only had 12 hours of working time. That's all they could do. That's all they could do. And, you know, even Jesus validated this as well. Let me show you. In John 11, verses 9 to 10, Jesus says, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. So, you know, even Jesus, he verifies that there's only 12 hours of daylight. Anything after that would be walking in darkness. So the 11th hour was right at the end of the day. One hour after that, it would be dark already. So this person, he hires people even for one hour. Doesn't make sense, right? But yet he does do it. And now he gathers all of them to get paid. All right, let's keep reading. Let's go back to Matthew 20, verses 8 to 10. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received how much? Every man a penny. But when the first came, 
they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny as well. Now look, that would have been logical thinking if you were the first person that was hired, right? The last person, he's paid first, and he only worked one hour, and he got one penny. He got a day's wage. So if you're that first person, you're thinking, oh, definitely I should get paid more. If he's paying one penny just for one hour, I must be getting 10 pennies or at least 12 pennies, right? If I work the whole day, you see that? That would have been logical thinking. It wasn't unreasonable to think any different, right? I, I think 10 times out of 10, if we were that first laborer, the one who got there first, all of us, Every single one of us, when we looked down the line and saw the last guy that came and we looked there and, and we see him get paid one penny, I think we would all be thinking, okay, I'm going to get paid more. So, I mean, look, this would not have been unreasonable to think that at all. However, they weren't. They were paid the same as the person that worked only one hour. And it must have been such a shock to them to only receive one penny. But you see, we're missing one thing. Remember, when we read earlier, when that first man that was hired into the vineyard to, to work, to labor, right? That, that first person, do you remember? He agreed to one penny a day, right? He agreed, that was very clear. You know, the rest of them, this like, Whatever's fair, I'll give it to you. But that first hour laborer, the one that got there first, he agreed to a penny a day. He'd already agreed that. So even though it was not unreasonable to expect more, even though I think all of us would have thought, hey, he got paid one penny, I'm going to get more for sure. Even though it wasn't unreasonable to think that, he also should not have been surprised that he only received a penny. It was written in the contract. It was in a mutual agreement that he had already made between him and the owner of the vineyard. But it was a shock. It really was a shock. What happened when, when it got to that first man and he was paid only a penny for a whole days of work? What does the Bible say happens next? Matthew 20, verse 11 and 12. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, these last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. This first hour laborer, he began to murmur. The one who had worked all 12 hours or all 10 hours, he was unhappy as anybody would be, right? Anybody in that situation, after having seen what that person received, we would be unhappy in that situation as well. I worked 10, 11, 12 hours, and I've got the same pay as a person that worked only one hour? Where's the logic in that? Where's the fairness, in a sense, in all of that, right? But was he being fair? He was. He had agreed to a penny a day. That's what he got. How does the master, the boss, actually reply? Verse 13 to 15 of Matthew 20. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? He reminds him of the contract. Didn't you agree with me for a penny a day, right? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own, which is my own money, right? Is thine eye evil because I am good? You see, it's true. 
This man, he had agreed for a penny a day. And it's also true. It was fair to the boss to pay whatever he wanted to pay to everybody else. It was his money. After all, he was being fair. Well, I guess it depends which angle you look at it from, right? But he'd lived up to his end of the bargain. He wasn't being unfair to the first guy because he had agreed for a penny a day. And all the rest of them, he just said, whatever whatever you deserve, I'll give it to you, right? And they didn't even really have an agreement. They just went. But the first guy got the contract. He got the clear understanding of how much he was going to get paid. And it was one penny for a day's worth of work. And he was being fair. The problem, though, is not because the boss was unjust. He had been just. He had lived up to his end of the contract. He had paid that first man fairly. The only problem was that everyone else got the same no matter how long they worked. But moreover, the boss, he says, though, what? Is your eye evil because I am good? He calls the first hour laborer, the one who came first to work, who borne the heat and the burden of the day. He said, you're evil. Why? Why would he be considered evil though? Because he ended up murmuring against the good man of the house. His attitude was incorrect. Now look, I want you to think of it from a different angle, okay? I want you to consider this from a different angle if instead of paying the last guy first. So, you know, you know, the last person that was hired, he got paid first, according to this parable, right? The one that worked only one hour, he got paid first. But if we turn it around, and if the person who worked first had gotten paid, and then he left without knowing what everyone else got paid, he would have been happy, Right? he would have been so happy and content with what he had. I didn't have a job. I was just standing around doing nothing. And this person came and paid me a penny for the work that I did for him. A penny a day. That was pretty good, right? So it was only as he learned what everyone else got that he began to murmur. That he was not content with a penny a day even though it was a fair wage. He was unhappy. But it was true. It was up to the boss to pay whatever he wanted. And had he gotten paid first all the way down at the beginning, everything would have been okay. So really, the situation kind of shows here what? How evil and wicked the character of that first laborer is who ends up murmuring. And then Jesus, he ends with this interesting statement. He ends with this interesting conclusion to this parable. Let's read it. Matthew 20, verse 16. So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Friends, what does this all mean? Why why would Jesus end with this sort of thing? I mean, of course, we're thinking the first that was hired, he'll be last. Was he because he paid last? No. It's because of his character, right? So does it seem to indicate that this first hour laborer is going to be lost or doesn't make it? You know, what does this all mean? Let's interpret this parable real quick, okay? So who is the householder? Who is the one that owns the vineyard? 
That obviously is God, or Jesus, right? He's the one that will call and choose everyone at the end of time. How about the vineyard? What does that represent? Well, it represents the whole world, a world steeped in sin. And the laborers are those that are called by God to assist, to to help in the cause of God, preaching the gospel to every creature, going out there, working for the cause of the kingdom of heaven, to seek and save the lost into heaven as much as possible, leaving nobody out. So these first hour laborers are those that are called by God first. They are the ones that have worked longest for God in the vineyard. Well, friends, who was it that God called first? Well, in the Bible, we see what? Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. And he would form, you know, Abraham is known as a father of faith. They would form the nation of Israel, the foundation, especially Jacob, who would eventually have his name changed to Israel. But always Abraham is, is first. Why? Because he's, he's the father of them all. So these, these first our laborers really represent the Jewish nation. They were the ones that were called first. They were the ones who had the privilege of receiving the Son of God in the flesh, in their midst. You know, Jesus, he didn't go to China or to India. He came specifically to Jerusalem. And the Jews, they were the ones that were the first hour laborers with him in the vineyard. It's, it's almost as if, you know, those that have grown up in the church all their lives, They weren't of of any other religion. They grew up going to church every single week, learning about the Bible on their mother's knee, right? This is representative of those as well, but we'll get to that application in a minute. But we also get furthermore a clue about these first-hour laborers in previous text. So you remember, this conclusion that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 16, when he says, the first shall be last and the last first, and many be called, few are chosen, right? What's so interesting? You know, this parable that we started, started in verse 1 that we read from. But what's really interesting is when you go to the very last verse of the previous chapter before Jesus gets into the parable, we do get an indication of what he's referring to here. Matthew 19 verse 30. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You see, Jesus says almost exactly the same thing at the end of this chapter as well. His words are almost verbatim, and it's almost as if what? Matthew 20 is a continuation, really, of Matthew 19. There's this whole story that goes on in Matthew 19. It's not a parable. It's an actual story, and we're going to look at it in a second. But when Jesus gets to Matthew 20, and it seems like he jumps straight into the parable, it's because he's trying to illustrate something actually from the previous story, the previous chapter. What happened that caused Jesus to say these words in Matthew 19.30, the many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first? Well, let's go to verse 16. What's the background? What's the context? And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Friends, what is the story? It's the story of the rich young ruler. He comes and asks Jesus, Jesus, what thing can I do that I can inherit eternal life? How does Jesus respond? Verse 17, Then he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. 
But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And how does the young man reply? All these things have I kept up from my youth. What lack I yet? Jesus tells him, If you want to inherit eternal life, keep the Ten Commandments. And he replies, Hey, I've kept all these things up from my youth. I've kept these things since I was a kid. What else? You see, friends, this man was a Jew. He's not like, uh, what's that? Well, what is all of this? How do I love my labor, neighbor as myself? You know, He doesn't ask that. He, he knows what Jesus is talking about. This man grew up a Christian, in a Christian home, all his life, going to church, all his life. He is what you call a first-hour laborer. Then, who is the 11th hour laborers? Who are those that would come after this first hour laborer? Since this first hour laborer is the Israelites, represents the Christians, you and me in our day, right? In Matthew 8, let's go back a bit further in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 8, this Roman centurion, he comes to Jesus and he asks for the healing of his sick servant. And we're not going to read through all the passage there, but you can go to Matthew 8. And he asked and said, please come and lay your hand on my servant because he's sick. And Jesus comes, but then he's like, oh, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And because of his faith, Christ performs this miracle of healing this servant. And at the end of this encounter, Jesus announces something very interesting. Let's read it in Matthew 8, verses 10 through 12. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness." there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said that others would come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And obviously those people were referring to the, 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 those that the Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, those are the Jews, right? So obviously this was not referring to the Jews that were coming from the east and the west. Who are those? I mean, who are those that God calls in the kingdom of heaven that are coming from the east and the west. If it was not the Jews, then it had also to be the Gentiles. And of course, we know that today. We're not Jews, but we have the right to the kingdom of heaven. Amen, right? And so it's not only the, the Christians even today that say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be saved. I'll be in the kingdom of heaven. No, it's not only them. Look at this. Matthew 21, 31. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him, the first. And Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. The publicans and harlots would go into the kingdom of heaven before many of the Jews. However, 
It doesn't mean that all the Jews would be lost, but there would be two groups of people. One that was called first, and the one that would come later. Just like this laborers of the vineyard, yes, they came at different times, but there was always a group that was called first, and it was the Jews. Today, it is the Christians. But Jesus said, the publicans and the harlots would go in before you. Let's have a look at this group real quickly, shall we? Let's look at a story about a very notable publican. It's found in Luke chapter 19 and verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. You see, Zacchaeus was not just any ordinary publican. He was very rich, and he was chief among them. That's why he had so much riches. He was despised amongst the Jews. But you see, there was a day that Jesus was passing through Jericho, and Zacchaeus heard about it, and he was so excited to see Jesus. And some of his preaching must have touched his heart, and you know, he wanted to meet Jesus. And so because he was short, he climbed up a sycamore tree, right, to get a better view of Christ. And by and by, as Jesus passed that way, he stopped under the tree where Zacchaeus was seated. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down, for today I'm going to eat at your house. And Zacchaeus, he was overjoyed. He was so happy to have Jesus come to his house. And so he comes down, he brings Jesus to his home, and they have this wonderful meal together. And while they're eating together, Zacchaeus stands up and says a a very interesting declaration. Let's continue in the story in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. You see that? He was willing to sell everything and give to the poor and then restore everybody else fourfold. Pardon me, not everything. Half of his goods to the poor and then the rest, it was restoring back to everyone else. He would have been a poor man by then. But look how Jesus responds. This day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus, he probably wasn't a Jew actually, or if not, I mean, if he was, he was not in a saving relationship, but at the end of it, Jesus says, you're saved. You're the son of Abraham. You are considered or paid as much as a first hour laborer. He did what the young, rich young ruler could not do in Matthew 19 when he said, what good thing can I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, sell all that you have. Sell everything you have, give to the poor. Come follow me and you'll have riches in heaven. But the rich young ruler couldn't do it. When Jesus told him, really, what else do I need to do? And he told him, sell everything. He couldn't. He couldn't. How did he respond? In Matthew 19, 22, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away feeling sad because he loved his riches more than he loved Jesus. But it wasn't so with Zacchaeus. After one meal, after one encounter, he had found the greatest treasure of this earth. 
He'd found the pearl of great price and everything else paled into comparison that he was willing to give up everything just to follow Jesus. Everything. Do you see this comparison to the rich young ruler who had kept the commandments from his youth? He'd been a Christian all his life and he's like, what else do I lack? And Jesus says, go sell everything. And he, he was sad. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He was focusing too much on his possessions, just like the first hour laborer was comparing himself with all that the others were paid. The same as him. His focus was wrong, you see. But let's have a look at another person. She's not a publican. But do you remember that Jesus said, those would come in from the east and the west and publicans and harlots would go into the kingdom of God before you, right? Let's look at a notable harlot. Let's go to John chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. You know, this woman is traditionally known as Mary Magdalene. And the scribes and the Pharisees were ready to stone her. But Jesus would eventually thwart their plans and set this woman free. And in verse 11, she said, No man, Lord. No man was condemning her. No man was throwing a stone in her. And Jesus said to her, What? Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You know, Jesus has mercy upon her, saves her from the wrath of the scribes and the Pharisees, but also gives her a second chance. And later on, we find Mary at Simon's house. And look at what Jesus declares of her. After she's done washing the feet and the head, uh, anointing the head of his, and his hair with oil, you know, there's this big ruckus that goes on. Jesus tells another parable and a story and everything. But look at what he says of Mary at the very end. In Luke 7, 47 and 48, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. Truly the harlot and the publican goes into the kingdom of heaven before many Christians and many Jews out there today. That can be made of that application for us. You know, there are many that would possibly have the right to the kingdom of heaven before any Christian, before any of those that have gone to church all their lives. So, friends, when we come back to the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, the focus is not, the focus on the laborers is not about the quality of the work that they did, but rather at the very end, their character and their attitude and what they chose to focus on. You see, God doesn't look at only how long you worked, but He also looks at the spirit in which it's done. It's possible to treat working for God, even in ministry, as a pastor, as a Bible worker, whatever, as a gospel worker, even, even for a self-supporting minister or, or some that, someone that you know, has their own ministry out there. It's possible to get caught up with money. Just like how any other person out there works like a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or an engineer, right? It's possible that we get caught up with all these things of making and earning a living. And it's simply a job, nothing more. It's not a calling, but a job. And it's possible to focus on money so much 
and not the blessings of the call. It was evident from the parable that we read in Matthew 20 that the first hour laborer, he cared so much for his reward in comparison to others. He was just unhappy. He was not satisfied. He he was not content with what he received because of everybody else and what they received. He was focused on the wrong thing. He should have been focusing on the length of the privilege of working for the master of the vineyard. You see, it's interesting that in the Bible, when, when Jesus declared people of great faith each time, he wasn't referring to anyone that was Jewish. Do you know that? The first time you read about it, it's that Roman centurion who asked for healing for his servant. The second time we see where Jesus said, oh, this is, we haven't found such a great faith except, no, not even in Israel. It was the Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman who asked for healing for her daughter when when she's demon-possessed and she says, yes, but I'm a dog and at least dogs get crumbs from the master's table, right? So Jesus said, wow, you have great faith, so great that I've not found this even in Israel. Both these people were not Jewish. They were not Christian. They were not of the faith. But yet, Jesus said they had the greatest faith of all of them. You see, friends, being in church, it doesn't automatically qualify you for salvation. It it means that you know who Jesus is and you have a privilege to work for him, but it doesn't guarantee you a seat in heaven. I'm sure the first hour laborer did his work well, but it was at the end he let go of Christ. What was he doing it for? It it revealed the motive of his heart. He was working for money. He wasn't doing it as a call. You know, it's possible to work in ministry and just be a time watcher. I'm just here because I got to do this. And, you know, sometimes we get to this point of of being a minister because it's not a call, but I had nothing else and I, I just thought I'll try this. And then we end up, what? Focusing on the wrong things. And we treat it like any other job. But it's not, friends. It's not. You see, at the very end, the reward that Jesus gave every single one of these laborers was the same. A penny a day. And what does that represent? Friends, it's eternal life. It's eternal life. At the very end, you're not going to have a bigger mansion in heaven. You're not going to have gold compared to someone else who has silver. You know, you know what I mean? You don't get a bigger piece of land compared to a smaller piece of land. No, you're either saved or you're not. Friends, there are no extra perks. There are no extra benefits for those who had served longer or suffered longer, who are Christians longer. No, friends, I'll be happy just to get into heaven. I don't even need a house. Just let me sleep on the doorstep of heaven. I won't get cold there. I'm not going to need a blanket. I'm not going to need a pillow. I won't get a neck ache. I won't get any fever. There'll be no sickness, pain, or suffering. There won't be any of those things. No disease. Even if I don't get a good night's sleep, I won't feel unrefreshed. I'll be happy. I'll be joyful. Everything will be good in heaven. Just let me get through those pearly gates. I don't even need a house. If I just get there, I'll be happy enough. And friends, that is what is represented by that penny. The reward is the same for everyone. That reward is eternal life. No matter how long you've worked, the reward is all the same. 
But friends, today I want to ask you, what is your focus? Are you like the rich young ruler who's still looking at his earthly possessions? Do you care so much about how much you have in your bank account, how much you earn, how much is your house filled with all the earthly possessions that you've forgotten to store riches in heaven? You see, the thief on the cross, he did not even have an opportunity to serve Jesus at all. He died that day. He died. It was when Jesus was there near between the two thieves, one of those was saved. And look at what Jesus says to him in Luke 23, 43. He says, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. How much this thief would have just given, had, had just give me one opportunity to get off the cross and show you how much I love you. He was living a life of remorse. How he had wasted his time when he could have been doing something better. How he could have, you know, just done something to, to show Jesus how much grateful he was, how much he loved him. But he didn't get that privilege. He didn't get that honor, that blessing. He was just saved, but he never got the chance to walk with Jesus on this earth. Do we treasure the privilege to serve God today? Or do we just have one eye constantly fixed on the world, feeling sad that we're missing out? Oh, I've got to keep the Sabbath. I, I can't work here. Or, oh, I, I, I shouldn't lie, so I can't do that. Or, you know, I can't do this. I, I can't go to the casino and gamble when, when my friends seem to be so successful at it or whatever it is, you know. Or I can't have this sort of fun. And we feel like we, we, we are missing out. And we end up murmuring. We're unhappy. Not because we just bore the heat and the burden of the day, but we're focusing on our salary, our pay, the earthly one. You know, friends, how can we make sure that we don't miss out at the end of time? How can we make sure that we avoid having this attitude of murmuring and complaining, even about spiritual things, right? How can we get to this point that we make sure that we are not like those first-hour laborers? Well, friends, we need to keep our experience fresh. We can't just let the world pile up at our door each day. We've got to learn to walk with Christ so that Satan does not steal a march upon us. You see, friends, the rich young ruler, he did not just hit the lottery or the jackpot overnight. There was no such thing as that, right? These possessions that he, he found so hard to let go, it was accumulating day by day, day by day, step by step, and slowly, imperceptibly, without him realizing it, it was weaning away, taking away the love that he had for Jesus. It's these intentional decisions that we make day by day. Yes, keep focusing on the, on the worldly and not on the eternal, and, and step by step, step by step, you know, no, but nobody becomes a murderer overnight. No, no one becomes a, 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 an adulterer overnight, right? People don't go rob the bank. They don't just get up from a righteous person to, to the next day they get up and like, I'm going to go rob a bank or kill somebody. No, they, they don't become like that overnight. Step by step, imperceptibly, they don't realize that they're letting go their hold on Jesus Christ. That is why sin is so deceptive. So that's why, friends, we need to refocus every day. Every day we have to refocus because it's not just this 
sudden U-turn and, and shift and change in our life that happens all of a sudden. No, it's years and years of decay. When a man commits adultery, I'm telling you, he doesn't go from falling madly in love with his wife and to the very next minute goes and chases after the woman. It doesn't make sense, right? There's some underlying current that many of us don't see step by step he's been letting go. And that's what happens with us and Jesus many times over, friends. And so today, we need to refocus. We need to make sure that our eyes are set on things above, heavenly things, and not on things of this earth. Let's come back to seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness so that God can give us the right priorities in our mind, that He can keep our characters just like His, that we can keep our experience with God fresh. So when we get to that point, when we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, we're not focusing on earthly things anymore. We're focusing on things above. And we're just happy to be saved. That God... He's so good that He desires to save each and every one of us. Friends, this past week, has life caught you chasing after riches too much again? Praise God! His mercies are new every morning. Let's come back to Him. Let's refocus. Let's set our eyes on heaven and be thankful for everything that God has given to us. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, for giving us second chances. Thank you, Father, for helping us to refocus today. Help us, Lord, to not keep looking at this temporal life that's just passing away. It's just a, a breath of a vapor on a glass that's just there, but for a moment and then disappears. But Lord, help us to really and truly understand what it means to lay up treasures in heaven and not on this earth. So Father, help us to look at the eternal, not the temporary. Help us to come back to the foot of Jesus, to learn from Him again. So guide us, Lord, bless us, fill us with Your Spirit. Help us to make wise choices and give us the courage to make those hard decisions. Sometimes, Lord, it's so difficult because we have all these temptations on every side, but give us strength, give us victory, give us your Holy Spirit to guide us every step of the way. Lord, thank you again. We praise you for your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.